BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Episode 59 of The Bowery Boys. Five points. That wicked slum. Hey, it's The Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello there and welcome to The Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. And I'm Tom Myers. And I am proud to say that after spending a few weeks with the upper crust of Manhattan at Delmonico's and through Central Park and all these different places, we're finally going to get to hang out in the gutter. <laughs> we are talking today about a topic that is was one of our most requested from people, and so we're finally taking care of yeah, it. Why have we put this off for so long? I think this one needs to take a little extra loving care, and I'll tell you why, because this is really ingrained in a lot of people's heads from two major sources. Both sources called Gangs of New York, mm-hmm. both the book by Herbert Asbury and, of course, the movie, which is sort of loosely, loosely based on the book by Martin Scorsese. You know, they give very clear pictures of what Five Points is and how bad the neighborhood was, how dangerous its inhabitants and the criminals lurking in the streets. Those were sort of glamorous, romanticized versions of that. Ah, so the truth is actually much uglier than... Uh... Sometimes, Yes. Sometimes, no. It's still one of New York's most legendary slums. It's a place that brought many different kinds of New Yorkers together. One could say it was the original melting pot within New York City. Living conditions there were atrocious, and there's no, there's no denying that. But when you look closer at it, it's a, it's a little bit more complicated. It's not quite black and white. We'll be giving you a walking tour of Five Points as if it were still standing. And I think that tonight's episode is going to paint a rather dismal picture of the neighborhood. And we should tell you right up front that this will be a two-part episode. So tonight we're going to be talking about the neighborhood, the decline of the neighborhood, and who lives there. Next week is about reform and ultimately demolition. But tonight, let's get to know the neighborhood of Five Points, shall we, Greg? Let's go. start talking about the most awful, most sordid, most disreputable mm-hmm. slum ever in the history of New York City. 
why don't you tell us where it is? In, in fact, where it is, if it were still around today. Wow, Greg, that's quite an intro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure any neighborhood would be pleased to hear those adjectives applied to them. I should apply for a real estate agency. <laughs> <laughs> Corcoran, here you come. <laughs> Well, okay, so you ask, where is it? Where where yes. was Five Points? This is confusing. There are scholars and historians who are still even a little confused about where Five Points was and why, because the streets don't exist anymore. Right, but you're going to show us. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to um, put an end to this once and for all. Okay. I have in front of me here a Google map. So Five Points was an intersection of five corners. Mm -hmm. It was at the intersection of Anthony Street, Cross Street, and Orange Street. Okay. You know that corner. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know those streets <laughs> at all. And I mean, I wander a lot around New York. So where? Yeah, obviously, because the streets have changed names and parts of these streets no longer exist. So Anthony Street today is called Worth Street. Okay. And Worth Street is sort of we're down in the City Hall District in the Municipal Building District. There's Columbus Park. Mm -hmm. Do you know Columbus Park? Yes. Sort of, if you took Mulberry Street down all the way south of Canal, you'd run into a big park. Okay. By the way, Mulberry Street, it, it cuts through Soho, Little Italy, crosses down Canal, and enters Chinatown. And so what we're talking about is actually kind of on the edge of Chinatown and what they call Civic Center. Thank you. And yes, Mulberry Street actually becomes the eastern border of Columbus Park mm -hmm. before Mulberry Street dead ends into today's Worth Street. So that's gotcha. Worth. Now, <laughs> if you go down to that park, you'll see people playing checkers and dominoes and hanging Lots out. Lots of kids, yeah. Lots of kids hanging out. The southern border is, is Worth Street. So Worth Street used to be Anthony. Now, the other side of Columbus Park is Baxter Street today. Okay. That used to be Orange Street. <laughs> so you have Worth and Baxter. And then there was another street called Cross Street, which sort of hit those at an angle, went straight through the intersection. That street would change its name to Park and then would later disappear completely. Okay, so that one I'm, I'm, gonna, like, that one I'm just going to pretend isn't there. <laughs> I'm mapping and drawing it on my hand right now, just trying to figure it out. It is very confusing, but let's just say that Cross Street goes through that park today. Okay. It's no longer there. So that is the intersection. Now, because these you have these streets crisscrossing, they also formed a triangle just to the west of the intersection with another street called Little Water Street, which doesn't exist today. And that that little triangle was called Paradise Square. Yes. This is the focal point of five points of the neighborhood referred to as five points and of today's podcast that neighborhood and there was one more very large important landmark in this neighborhood that we haven't mentioned yet collect pond oh of course well i think that in a sense this is actually part two of the collect pond episode well, we so maybe next week's will be part three <laughs> of collect pond so we'll need to, I guess, back up a little bit and sort of recap that and explain why Collect Pond has anything to do with Five Points. Yeah. It's in, this, it's in the exact same place. It has a lot to do with Five Points because the Collect Pond was located, I, I mentioned Paradise Square. Collect Pond was just north and west of Paradise Square by one block. So I mean, it was right there. So basically, it, it is Collect Pond and the banks and surrounding yeah, it banks. Yeah, was, it was in the banks. Now, as you'll recall, Collect Pond was the city's fresh water supply throughout most of the 18th century. 
but you know, industry grew and and started to relocate around the pond, tanneries and such, and they would dump their chemicals into the pond. It infested the water, the drinking water became pretty scuzzy, and they decided to drain the pond and fill it in with landfill. And in order to drain the pond, they had to build some canals, which led out to the Hudson River, which became today's Canal Street. That, in a nutshell, is podcast number 52. <laughs> you don't or have to listen to it. You can just listen to that. The only problem was that when they filled it in with landfill, the land wasn't able to really absorb all of the water. The canals didn't drain it all away. It was all swampy land. It was still right. kind of swampy and not really that sturdy to build houses on, but they built them anyway, and the houses and various structures began to sort of tilt and become unsafe to live in. So it had been a neighborhood initially intended for people with money to live in, but then this kind of quickly happened. The neighborhood literally started sinking. It started sinking, right. And that it was filled in in 1811. So this this happened pretty quickly. So the area became anathema, essentially. All the people with money moved out. But then how did the people without money move in? Well, I guess there were a couple different things that happened at the same time. There was a wave of immigration as the Irish were coming over, which I think you're going to talk about. Yes. They were looking for housing, obviously. At the same time, there was a population of African-Americans who had been living in the area for more than 100 years. So they lived in the neighborhood and didn't really have the resources or ability to leave the neighborhood mm-hmm. very easily. And this also coincides with an interesting change in the way that people lived and worked. Before, people had worked and lived in the same shops, and even workers who worked, you know, shoemakers or whatever, would live in their boss's house or in the shop mm-hmm. upstairs or very nearby. Now things were changing, manufacturing techniques were changing, production could happen in a different part of the city or even in a different city altogether. Mm-hmm. And so people could live in different places. They could, you know, the bosses could live in a different quarter of town. And suddenly there was a shift in the responsibility of normal citizens. They didn't have to fear being seen by their boss or somebody who was going to report back to their boss, which meant they could go out at night. They could mm-hmm. go to the saloon. They could hang out. They could be with, you know, disreputable women. Of course. (laughs) So this was happening. And at the same time, people, when they vacated their homes on the property, other developers moved in, demolished their homes, and in their place put apartment-style buildings, which they called tenancy Tenancy. Oh, and these are the very first... Tenements, correct? Yes, tenements comes from tenancy. And so these were houses that were designed to give these newly arrived immigrants a place to live. And I should mention that these these tenancies, tenements Mm -hmm. are being built in other neighborhoods as well as here. It's it's a a style of building that's just happening. And this is sort of a general trend. Some of the landlords down there, too, were big names. Remember our friend John Jacob Astor? I think think we mentioned him every episode (laughs) in some capacity. He owned a lot of land down there, and he was putting up these tenancy buildings as well. So you have these buildings that are sort of waiting for tenants, but traditionally New York tenants who have lived here and might have a little money are not going to be moving in there. Mm-mm. So it's a little bit fortuitous for Astor and all these greedy landlords that a massive famine hits Europe around this time. Now, immigration in New York City is on the rise anyway. I mean, since the since the start of the 19th century. 
And in particular, the Irish are already starting to come to New York by this time. In fact, Five Points is already considered a very disreputable neighborhood in the 1820s and 1830s. But what really balloons the population of this neighborhood is the mass immigration of Irish that happened in the 1840s due to the Great Potato Famine. So we're going to take a boat. We're going to go to Europe here for just a couple minutes. I need to explain what's happening here because it did greatly influence New York City in general. In fact, America in general because of so many people that came over. So the Great Potato Famine lasted from 1845, lasted several years, with 1847 being the worst. What it was was a disease that hit potatoes called the blight. It wiped out entire crops. And, you know, Ireland is already a very, very poor country at this time. Most of its residents relied on the potato because it was cheap. Everyone could grow them. It was just part of the diet. But this blight wiped all of them out. As a result, mass poverty, mass starvation hit almost the entire country. It almost devolved into like a lawless state. Uh, Most of the responsibility actually went to the landlords of the states. They had these gigantic parcels of land that they would rent out to hundreds of commoners who would then farm the land and live on it and just pay some of the money back to the estate. Now, if no one's eating, no one can work, so there's no one paying any money. They're all on this land. No one can pay rent, and there's massive overcrowding. It's pandemonium. Sounds like a good time to come to New York. Exactly. And so this is when um, immigration really starts to boom. Now, luck, those who happen to have some money come to the United States or just leave Ireland and go somewhere else. Usually these will be single men, healthy men who are going to make money somewhere and would send money back and hopefully bring their families back. But some tenants even had the idea of actually paying for some of these people to kind of get off their land by putting them in a boat and sending them off to the new world, effectively just getting them off the land. In the late 1840s, thousands of Irish would come to North America in this way. Some of them would settle in Canada. Some of them would settle in Boston and other major cities. But most of them ended up in New York City. By 1855, one-third of all New Yorkers were Irish. Wow. And of that third, 75% of all of them were between the ages of 17 and 35. But why did they all happen to come to Five Points? I mean, so many of them came to Five Points. Part of the reason is that a lot of this immigration would happen in key Irish regions. Many of the Irish would come from the areas of Ireland like County Kerry, County Cork. For instance, a landowner by the name of Lord Lansdowne... (laughs) Say that one again? A landlord named Lord Lansdowne. <laughs> Lord, yes. La- Lord Lansdowne, the landlord from the county Kerry, he actually sent over thousands of people, and most of them ended up in five points. You know, I mean, people do flock to their own kind. You know, people have their own dialects and their own cultural connections. Sure, there's safety in numbers, but also in five points you had landlords who were renting out very small spaces for very small amounts of money, too. Well, yeah, and on top of it, you know, many people would have personal connections, so it'd be like a friend of a friend. So naturally, but and on top of it, as the Irish, having gone through this famine, were actually probably the most poor of all the immigrants that were coming over. They would naturally go to the poorest, cheapest neighborhood, which, surprise, in New York City was Five Points. Now, I should mention that not every immigrant that came to Five Points at this time was Irish. There were a lot of Germans. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of German immigrants, a lot of Jewish immigrants from various different countries. And the black population is still there. They haven't moved. So, I mean, I'm just speaking this general term, this crowded neighborhood. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Why don't we give our listeners a little bit of a tour through this particular neighborhood? Well, and that became very fashionable for visiting tourists like famous writers and visiting politicians would swing through five points to check out the neighborhood. Why were they coming through? Because they were noting the horrible condition of the buildings, the number of bars. It seemed like every building along the way had a saloon downstairs. A grog house. A grog house. The drunkenness of many of the inhabitants, the obvious thievery taking place um, on every street corner. And, and sort of exacerbating this, or the, new, the penny press and the newspapers would start writing about Five Points in the most dramatic fashions possible. That's what drew some of these upper class and some of these famous people to come through there and really see it for themselves. So let's just head straight down to the intersection of the Five Points. And remember that street, Cross Street? Well, if we just take that a little bit south, we're going to run on our left into the brewery, the old brewery. Aha, uh-huh. this is a central building, and a good representation is featured in the movie, by the way. Ah, well, it was a real brewery back in colonial times, and now it, it became very dilapidated during the mid-19th century. It had turned into a giant slum falling apart, and it was crammed with sometimes up to 1,000 people at a time sleeping in these small little one-room apartments. I guess you'd call them apartments very small, smaller than today's studio apartments. And it wasn't just for one person. It was for a whole family or even more than one family. But it was a fairly big place. I mean, it was almost the size of like a shopping mall or something. It was gigantic. It took up a good part of the block. Allegedly, the old brewery averaged one murder a night for 15 years. Despicable things happened in it, in its basement. The police were even afraid to go in. This might, so this might be the worst place. This is of, the worst place. Of five the best points. place to start, the worst place to stick around. <laughs> so let's just keep on moving. Let's get out of there. So right across Paradise Square from the old brewery, is you're on Little Water Street. Now, if you just keep going down, we'll arrive at Cow Bay. The cow is in Moo Cow. Yeah, because cow. this was, I guess, before when the Collect Pond was there, this was a path that cows would take. Ah, yes. Um, Because, of course, you were taking cows up to the pond. (laughs) This was a dark, dark street just crammed with tenements. And it was a dead end, too. You started normally there at Worth Street, or Anthony, as they called it at the time. And then as you walked up the block, it would narrow, narrow, narrow down to a point where you were just facing some wooden slums. Oh, my God. I heard that one of the slums in Cow Bay was a tenement called the Gate of Hell. Now, the black population of Five Points was also centered here around Cow Bay. 
although everybody went there. It was because everybody in the neighborhood went to the bars and back alleyways of all of these. In, well, in the basement, it, here in Cow Bay, but in many other different places, you'd have, you'd have oyster houses where right. they wouldn't have oyster, to serve oysters right out of the bucket. They would also have stale beer dives. Stale beer dives where they would literally sell stale beer, like the remnants of other beer. Yeah. And then they had these dance halls, though, where you'd have this amazing mix of, of Irish music, and then you'd have more traditional music of the black population, and it would sort of mix together. And apparently the dance of, of these different cultures mixed together, and the tap dancing actually formed in five points, they say. Wow. Or maybe it was just people running for their lives to get out of it. <laughs> Can you imagine if they were wearing taps on their shoes as they were running? <laughs> but it wasn't just tap dancing. I mean, the area was also crowded with prostitutes and drunks and people fighting. And But we're still stuck down the Cow Bay Alley. Let's turn around and get out of there mm-hmm. and head for Baxter Street, which is actually just next door. Which in the old days was called Orange Street and is now called Baxter, right? I'm exactly. keeping, it, I'm keeping yes, track thank of you, it because I wrote it thank down. You. Now, at 47 Baxter, just south of the intersection, there's a small alleyway leading under the front building back to a little courtyard. Do you want to head back there with me, Greg? Let's go to the courtyard. You can imagine all the trash in the courtyard. and Smell. The smell. This is called Bottle Alley. And mm-hmm. just beyond all the trash in the courtyard is what looks like a stable, except there aren't any animals inside. It's not for horses. There are humans living inside, huddled all together like animals and sleeping in their clothes and in their boots because they didn't even want to take off their shoes at night for fear of them being stolen. Wow. Let's turn around and get out of there and over to Bandit's Roost. A bandit's roost. Yes. Now, I believe uh, that one of the most famous photographs of Five Points is actually taken in Bandit's Roost. That photograph by Jacob Rees, I believe, all these like thugs are standing sort of like facing menacingly into the camera. Yeah, they're, they're pretty spooky. You don't want to be anywhere near these guys. One of them looks like he's holding on to a gun in his pocket. Right right, in the yeah, there's, and someone's holding a bat or a frightening piece of wood. Well, that wraps up my little sensational... Walking tour of five points. Sure, a little hall of fame of places. Right, exactly. Obviously, there were normal apartment buildings there. Normal being relative in mm-hmm. this case, because these tenements were anything but normal. I mean, you had so many people packed in to rooms because there were just way too many people living here and no one had enough money. As an example, a typical situation in 1856 at an address, 15 people lived in one single room. Not every place would be like this. Some of them would have more people. Most of them would have a family and maybe one or two boarders that they would make money off of. Like they would, they would pay rent to live in that room. Now, most of these buildings would not have light. There wouldn't be a, a whole ton of gigantic windows. There would be no electricity. People would be sleeping in the hallways and stairwells. With so many people around, you certainly wouldn't have any privacy, which would be particularly frustrating if you were a woman in this in the mid late 19th century to be boarded up with not only your own family in one room, but then non-family members like other you know men. Not to mention, you couldn't really escape to the bathroom. Well, the bathroom situation, forget that. If you had an apartment in the front of the building where you looked down over the streets, which were probably rancid with trash and everything going by, you were lucky because most of the latrines were behind the building. So if, say, you had a window that faced the back, you were probably smelling human filth for the entire day. And forget that on a hot summer day. That's probably like the most toxic thing I can possibly imagine. 
And so if that makes you feel dirty, well, you might as well forget taking a bath because there were a few bathtubs. And even if you wanted one, you would have to lug the water up yourself, up the stairs. And if you lived up on a top floor, so it's not a pretty situation. The scary part, though, is that... It gets worse? Well, the reason that so many people kind of put up with this, especially with the Irish five-pointers, is because this was all kind of a step up from how they lived in Ireland, where Mm -hmm. things were so bad. So it's just all how you look at things, Tom. Now, I know you also mentioned the criminals and all the drunks and everything, but not every person who lived in Five Points was a criminal or a drunk. You know, most everyone here did come to look for work. They took a lot of their trades that they had at home to imply them in the city. Some of the luckier men were employed with all these big city projects that were sprouting up everywhere, you know, including Central Park. But they they would all often be discriminated against if they were Irish or depending on what the discriminatory ethnic group was at the time. Some of the luckier women would be maids and house cleaners, seamstresses. Or if they were a, a luckier young woman, they might be selling hot corn through the streets of Five Points. They would walk through the streets and yell out, hot corn. Some of these young ladies would be considered sort of the, you know, the sex symbols of the, na- of the neighborhood, selling their hot corn in a big basket, steaming it, corn. It sounds very charming, really. But, you know, this also presupposes that they can clean up and look presentable. Well, like I said, these are all the luckier. These are the luckier ones. Those that weren't so lucky on the lower rungs, you know, like the women are called rag pickers that would just go through trash and pick things that they can maybe sell. Young children would hit the streets selling matches. Later, they would become newsies. And of course, the lowest, lowest rung for a lot of people A lot of women, for instance, was to become prostitutes because Five Points did have its share of brothels. In fact, Worth Street was particularly known for its line of whorehouses. If you were a guy and you had a lot of time in your hands and you were unemployed, you were probably in a gang. Now, there were gangs all over the city. Five Points was not the only place that had gangs. The Fourth Ward had them, Hell's Kitchen, a lot of other seedy neighborhoods. But Five Points had a great number of them. A lot of them were based on ethnicity or rather a hatred of an ethnicity. They had such names, such clever little names as the Plug Uglies, the Wyos, who were thrived in the 1860s. A lot of people may know the gang The Dead Rabbits Mm -hmm. from the movie and from the Asbury book. Now, Tom and I both read this book by Tyler Asbinder called Five Points. He posits a very interesting theory that the dead rabbits actually didn't exist, that this may have been just an epithet for describing a few other gangs, including a gang called the Roach Guards. So you had gang warfare amongst themselves with other groups like, say, the, the Bowery, Bowery Boys, Boys. Up, up in the Bowery. You know, keep in mind that there was a lot of men in this neighborhood, a lot of booze in this neighborhood, and a lot of unemployment. So this is kind of going to happen. Yeah, and when you said that if you were a man and unemployed, you were probably in a gang, you were probably also in a bar, right? A lot of people were hanging out in bars. Well, there was there was just an, an astronomical percentage of bars to people. I mean, there's a lot of people, and there were a lot of bars. Grocers, as what they often called them, though they weren't selling that many groceries. Right, it was mostly booze. So something very curious happened around the mid-century. You have this group of poor immigrants, and this very dangerous criminal element, and they're two or three blocks away, just happened to be close to City Hall. So someone involved with City Hall decided to look at it and said, well, what can this group do for me? So we're talking about Tammany Hall. 
And when you say Tammany Hall, you're referring to not a place per se, but really just a machine, a political machine a that po- was running the city. A political, a Democrat for the Democratic Party, the political machine. They had their own agendas. They had their own sort of outlook within the Democratic Party. And on top of it, they sort of had an underworking of the whole political infrastructure where they could control things either legally or much more likely illegally. And in its heyday, Tammany Hall was taking money, siphoning money off from big projects, but also employing big numbers of people who would then in turn vote them continuously into office. So it was this sort of vicious circle of corruption and power. Well, they they decided, and so this, which was very successful for them, is they decided to sort of get the Irish on their side. And a lot of the Irish in Five Points had a lot to do with their successes that they had in the 1860s and 70s and 80s and much later. How would they do that? You might ask, well, if all these immigrants, how can they vote? They just got off the boat. Well, I mean, laws were a little different back then. And, you know, if you just happen to have, say, a Tammany Hall appointed judge, you could just rush a whole group of five point residents through there and get them all signed on as citizens. Tammany Hall also kept them fed and employed and basically kept them happy so that they could receive favors from them later if they needed to. As a result, these Irish would go to the polls and vote in great number for Tammany candidates. Five points, in fact, became a democratic bastion. And so often it would be there would be no point for any other party to run there because it would always go to the Democrats. Right. Actually, the Tammany officials would sometimes receive more votes than there were actual <laughs> citizens live in the sixth ward sort of electoral district was the sixth ward in the city. It was a pretty corrupt ward. Uh, Oh, indeed, if not the most corrupt ward. But eventually, a lot of the Irish in the Five Points would themselves infiltrate the political sphere by this method, so that later, by the 1870s, many of the Irish were on the ticket, and we would eventually have Irish mayors, even. And Five Point gangs and other gangs would even be employed to engineer voting fraud and to use intimidation on election days. So that sort of explains why the various gangs were not actually just all locked up in mass, you know, because Tammany Hall and the elected officials actually had a reason to protect the gangs and they were all kind of working together. You know, we're, we're, we're generalizing. There's obviously <laughs> many <Perhaps>. inc- <laughs> there's many incidents between police and gangs. Yeah, so it's a bit of an overstatement, but they did have a need for each other. So that was the relationship between, you know, City Hall and the police and Five Points. And it's so close to City Hall. We're talking blocks. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of unusual how close it is. Okay, so that is our introduction to the neighborhood. As I mentioned before, touring the neighborhood was a popular tourist attraction for notables coming through town, including foreigners such as Charles Dickens. Yeah, so I I sort of to to wrap it up, to this wrap up this part, I wanted to read a little bit of one of Charles Dickens' observations of the neighborhood that he wrote about in 1842. He wasn't in general a fan of many places in New York City. um, Or of the U.S. I think he was kind of embittered about a copyright issue. He definitely had an axe to grind, but when he got to Five Points, he really let his pen rip. So here's a little excerpt from, from a description about Five Points that he wrote. This is the place, these narrow ways, diverging to the right and left, and reeking everywhere with dirt and filth. Debauchery has made the very houses prematurely old. See how the rotten beams are tumbling down, and how the patched and broken windows seem to scowl dimly? 
like eyes that have been hurt in drunken frays. Many of those pigs live here. Do they ever wonder why their masters walk upright in lieu of going on all fours? And why they talk instead of grunting? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> going kind over of the outrageous, <laughs> kind yeah. of over the top. But this will set us up. So it's almost gotten already in its own time, this sort of legendary vibe to it, I guess. And that was only 1842. There was so much of five points to come. And so next week, we're going to actually start with something that I think a lot of people don't realize is that for a while, Five Points almost became kind of a normal neighborhood, I would say. Some some reform activities happened that almost changed it. And well, it did change it for a while. Five Points cleaned up its act, but the worst was still to come. And we'll let you know how, how worse that is and what the ultimate fate of Five Points is next week. So thank you for joining us for part one of our special episode on this notorious slum. We know you'll just be sitting on the edge of your seat until next week in your stale beer dive. Please visit us on our website at BoweryBoysPodcast.com, where I'll have some pictures of the early days of Five Points Up. If you're on Facebook, you can also type in Bowery Boys and you'll see us join our group and join the Bowery Boys family. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week with part two. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you next week. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.